They do have a very intentional purpose, and that is we're going to plunder Mark's gospel for hints and for advice and for guidance as to how to follow Jesus more effectively, how to be uh, more fruitful disciples. And I'm sure there are many ways of looking at Mark's gospel, but this is a, our chosen way for this time um, together. And we're going to pick up the story very near the beginning. We've got to uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 9. And I think it makes sense just for me to read that little passage to us. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. At once, the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Well, I'm going to pluck out a few points and I hope we'll find them encouraging. I feel sure we will. And the first thing I just want to flag together for us to notice is that Jesus, in going out to get close to his cousin, John, went into the wilderness. Uh, he went into the Jordan uh, countryside, which was hostile, a difficult place to get to, and not inviting at all. And I just have always noticed that people will travel to hear God's voice and to encounter the living God. There is a hunger that the Holy Spirit gives people to get close to God. And that's what happened here. It, it must have been a move of the Spirit that moved the people to leave uh, their homes and go to such a difficult place and to encounter John himself. I actually experienced a story like this in reverse when I was working at a church in Kensington in St. Barnabas in Addison Road, where uh, one Sunday uh, a lady came in to worship and we got chatting to her in the ministry time. And she came all the way from Iran and God had given her a dream and told her that she was to leave her home, was to come to the UK and was to search out for him and in this dream, he appeared to her as a shepherd. And she just happened, quote unquote, happened into the church on the day someone was preaching about Jesus being a good shepherd. Extraordinary, isn't it? But God gives a hunger for people to travel to get close to God. I've, I've been known to get on an airplane, fly to another country to investigate a place where uh, God was said to be at work. And I, I dare say you've traveled a distance too. And so... I actually am so encouraged that churches all over London are growing and they're growing because people are flocking to them to hear the gospel. Well, that's just a point made in, in passing. So as we saw at the beginning of this reading, 
Jesus makes his way to where they were to be baptized. And if you're thinking to yourself, why on earth did Jesus need to be baptized? You're thinking what generations of readers have also thought. Why, why on earth does he need to be baptized? And really, I don't know. I don't actually think anyone knows. Um, there have been suggestions, of course, two suggestions which I think come top of a poll for me would be number one, uh, out of obedience. God told him to do it and, and he did it. And William Barclay suggests that it marks for Jesus a turning point that from now on there was no turning back. He had left his quiet life as a carpenter in his parents' home. And it was an act of obedience moving forward, never to return to that. A, a much more popular idea, in, popular in the sense of well-known and recognized, is maybe Jesus does it to identify with the people that he's come to work with or be with or love, that he gets down amongst us. And although he doesn't need forgiveness, he, he goes through baptism as, as a kind of identifying with us. But as I said right up front, I don't really know. I'm not sure anyone does know why he was baptized. But we can notice what happens when he is being baptized, that he sees the spirit descend upon him like a dove. And it, it's often suggested that the dove is picked because it's a gentle and nervous bird, apparently, and it will take fright easily. And uh, symbolizing to us that the Holy Spirit is gentle, not that he'll take fright, but he's not a bully. The, the Spirit descends on him and he hears God's voice of affirmation, doesn't he? You are my son with whom I'm well pleased, verse 11. And I could highlight for us just quickly associated with this baptism four things which any disciple, any follower of Christ, if we do this, this, this will increase our fruitfulness. And I think we need them actually to be secure, fruitful followers of Christ. So the first one, obedience. Obedience. John baptized people because, Jesus, because God had told him to. Jesus went and was baptized out of obedience. There are things God asks us to do that we won't feel like doing. There will things there'll be things that God asks us to do um, we don't find easy to do. Very often, I, I find actually increasingly, sheer obedience is a motivator to start with. And then once you start doing what God's asked you to do, um, you see the purpose of it and the fruit of it. But oftentimes, it's a step in God's direction. Obedience. Secondly, the Spirit's anointing. Jesus received this from the outset. Again, there's a little bit of a theological conundrum here because he already had the Holy Spirit. We don't want to make the mistake of dividing the Trinity here. But nevertheless, the Holy Spirit anoints him. We need the Holy Spirit's help and anointing, don't we? And then the ability to hear God's voice. Do we stop even to make space to hear God's voice? I'm sure we do. In this particular instant, Jesus hears a direct voice of God. You're my son whom I love. 
And then fourthly, and, and I think this is incredibly important, because this voice comes to Jesus, this affirmation comes to Jesus right at the start of his earthly ministry. If you like, I sometimes think about it before he's really done anything. He hasn't turned water into wine. He hasn't called a disciple to him. He, uh, yes, he's come in the flesh, but he hasn't um, performed any works, if you like. Because it happens here, we know for a fact that Jesus works from a place of already being loved. And he's secure in God's approval. And he works out from God's approval. He doesn't work for God's approval. You're my son whom I love, in brackets, who's done nothing much yet. And with you, I'm well pleased. And all four of those things would, would be a good thing to pray every day, really. Lord, help me to be more obedient. Holy Spirit, I need your help and anointing. Speak, Lord, because your servant's listening and I'm I ready to hear your voice. And help me to know that you already love me and I'm walking with your approval already today. Well, let's move on from the baptism to the temptations. Uh, Mark doesn't tell us uh, anything specific about the temptations, apart from the fact that Jesus was tempted. And again, I think we can just draw some helpful principles from this. We can notice that Jesus goes from a high to a crashing low, can't we? That surely, uh, Everything that happened at his baptism was wonderfully affirming. And now, very, very strangely, it looks to us in verse 12, at once the Spirit, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And I get a number of things from this. I, I learned from this that sometimes under God's hand, we can find ourselves led into tough territory. You know, when we are in a tough time or when we are in tough territory, I think it's pretty easy to ask ourselves, so what's gone wrong here? God, if you abandoned me, is this what you do to the people you love and are well pleased with? Well, evidently the answer is sometimes yes. Yes, because it happened to Jesus. And turning that a little bit on its head, we can think a bit more. Just because we're in the desert place and feeling tested doesn't mean God doesn't love me anymore. Neither does it mean we've done anything wrong. Nor does it mean that God's abandoned us because look, actually angels attended him. What we can also learn from this perhaps is under God's hand, when we come through temptation, we come through the stronger. By the end of this episode, Jesus knew what it was to rely on the Father, as it were, and his faithfulness even more. It, it did strike me as I was preparing this that um, Mark is opening our eyes bit by bit to a whole spiritual realm, isn't he? We've not just been introduced to John. We've not just been introduced to Jesus. We're, we're being introduced to the Holy Spirit and to Satan that there is a worldview. We, we know, if you read the scriptures, we know it's consistent throughout. There's far more going on than meets the eye. 
And there is this spiritual battle, and, and this is our first encounter with it in Mark's gospel. The word Satan, the name Satan, means opposer or accuser. And uh, we will discover as we go through this gospel, we will be discovering time and again that what's going on is what St. Paul would call the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. They, they, they protrude, they interfere, they get in the way. And uh, as we're introduced to the Holy Spirit, we're introduced, as it were, to the unholy spirit, to Satan as well. Well, let's, um, let's move on. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, verse 14. And I just love to think that the voice of God is never going to be extinguished, ever. And if you, if you take notes and um, if you underline, you just might write that down. The voice of God is never going to be extinguished, ever. And the reason I'm flagging that, I'm getting that idea from the fact that when John is snuffed out, when he is removed from the world stage, that is when Jesus comes into even greater prominence. And in the course of my lifetime, and I, I would guess this is going to happen in everyone's lifetime, really, Christian leaders have been cut down for one reason or another. They might die early. I remember when David Watson died in the early 1980s. I was actually very surprised as a young Christian that the Christian world seemed to be turned into turmoil, as if the whole kingdom of God was going to come to a standstill. And I can understand it was enormously sad, and it was, and tragic, and it's not what any of us would have wished. But the kingdom of God's going to go on. God would raise up someone else. Um, sadly, many times since that time, prominent Christian leaders have fallen from grace. And, and one thing, you've tempted to put your head in your hands and look to the ground and sort of think, oh, dear, is that the end of the story? Well, it'll never be the end of the story because you can't snuff out God's plans. And God's plan uh, is that the kingdom will grow. The kingdom will grow. Um, as I was preparing it this afternoon, I was thinking of that hymn, God is working his purpose out as year succeeds to year. God is working his purpose out and the time is drawing near. And you know how it goes on, quoting Habakkuk, that the time will come when the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. It's not going to stop. Well, let's look at what Jesus says, because um, we often talk about famous last words. And these are famous first words. Mark 1.15, the time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. And I, I want to unpack this for us because it really is significant. So what's Jesus actually saying here? Well, he doesn't, it's not like, oh, tea time. <laughs> it's not like that. This, this word, the time has come, means this is God's very appointed time. This is a significant time of God's choosing. This is the exact time that God chose in eternity for this event to happen. Now is the time. This is God's moment in history. So, so, so that's Jesus' uh, call to arms, if you like. This is the time 
The kingdom of God is near. What does that mean? Well, I can tell you what it means, but it's going to take the whole of the gospel for us to understand more and see it in action. The kingdom of God is a phrase that describes what it's like when God reigns. That's God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is where God is reigning. And Jesus is the king. And as we follow him, we'll be watching his kingdom coming little by little. It's as if he's saying, now you're going to see what it's like when God's in charge, when you follow in my train. But I reserve most of my comment for this next phrase, repent and believe the gospel. Now, we noticed, didn't we, that John the Baptist preached, we were told in verse four, John preached a baptism of repentance. But I wonder if you've noticed, I, I just wonder if this has ever been flagged to you, that in the New Testament, all, all the great preachers begin in the same way. So how does Jesus begin his public ministry? Like this, we just read it, a call for repentance, repent and believe. What did the disciples first preach when they were sent out? I wonder, you're gonna guess this. Mark chapter six, verse 12, they went out and they preached that people should repent. What did Peter preach at Pentecost in Acts chapter two? He preached repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. What did Paul preach? It's getting a bit monotonous, isn't it? What did Paul preach in Acts 17? We're told in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. What does the Spirit say in the book of Revelation to five of the seven churches? Repent. So, so I'm beginning to, even I, beginning to wake up that a key part of God's message is this word repentance. And yet it's a word that we shy away from and slightly mock, I think. Uh, could it be? I'm sure it is. It's because we don't understand what's being said until it's explained. It's got an old fashioned ring to it. And, and you kind of picture a man uh, walking up and down the road with a sandwich board on his back saying something like repent, uh, turn or burn or something like that. But so let me explain what it actually does mean. It, it's actually a gateway to new life. It literally is one word in Greek and it means change your mind, change your mind. I think, I think a, a, a helpful verse is found in Acts 11, 18, where we're told about what happened to the Gentiles when they came to know about Jesus. And um, there were some objections because the Jews didn't expect that the gospel uh, should go to the Gentiles. And so the disciples are trying to make the case at this council of why it was in fact God at work. And after they're told the whole story of Cornelius and Peter and all the rest of it, this is what they say, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And that's a key thing to get into our head is that this repentance business leads to life. It, it sets us free. It, it's the start of a new life. It, it's changing your mind, in changing the way we think. Uh, let me give you an example. Last week, Liz and I woke up in this house to discover there was no running water. 
none, not coming out of any taps, any loos, any showers, just none. And we called out a plumber, and it's a long story, but the, the bottom line was when we got the appropriate plumber um, who could understand the phenomenal heating system there is here, he looked at this industrial unit and he said, well, the control panel shot. You need, you need a completely new electronic control panel. It was like the central processing unit is completely screwed up. You're never going to get anything good out of that. It needs replacing from just completely. And it's like God looks at us and the way we think and the way we live. And he says, you're scrambled. You're programmed to a default template, which is taking you away from me all the time. And I'd like to pinpoint to you ways that you need to change because I want you to enjoy freedom. I want you to know my company. I want you to discover the very best way to live there is. But to do that, you're going to have to turn around. You can't keep living life the way you are now. And the only way you're going to turn around, the only way you're going to be motivated to turn around is by the Holy Spirit. So, says Jesus, repent and believe. Repent and have faith in me. And we often, you'll have heard preachers say, and I'm going to have to come to a stop quickly, I really realize. You'll have heard preachers say, I stand at the door and knock, says Jesus. But it's as if that door rests on two hinges. And they are repent and believe. And you don't just open that door to Jesus once in your life, do you? Every single day, this is the key to us making spiritual progress. Repent, repentance, and believing. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to liberate us like that. I was thinking, uh, because it's Inauguration Day, that um, President Trump was bound to issue a number of pardons, and he did. He can change the penalty but he can't change the person. He can't change the people he's pardoned. Jesus is able to change the penalty and change the person. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't just save us, he, he changes us. And the way we most change before our behavior can change, we have to change the way we think. I, I'm going to um, finish this with reading to you two quotations. Uh, the, the first one comes from Tolstoy trying to describe uh, in a personal paper what happened to him when he became a Christian. This is how he describes it. Five years ago, I adopted the teachings of Christ and my life suddenly changed. I ceased to wish that which I formerly wished. And I began to wish that which I formerly didn't wish. What formerly appeared good now appeared evil. And what formerly appeared evil now appeared good. With me happened just what happened to a man who went out for some business and on the way decided that it was unnecessary and therefore returned. All of which was at the right side then was at the left side. And that which had seemed on the left was then on the right. The desire to be as far as possible from home gave way to the desire to be as near as possible to home. The direction of my life, my desires, became different, and good and evil changed places. All this was the result of my understanding the teaching of Christ, otherwise than before. And I think that describes it quite well. And the other quote is a lot shorter. It's from John Newton, the slave trader, the amazing grace man. 
and uh, it encapsulates a little bit about the process he went through and I think we all go through. He, he describes himself like this, and you may have heard this before. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I'm not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. 